Hi, this is Greg Rempe, host of the Barbecue Central Show, and you're listening to the Baseball and BBQ Podcast with your host, Jeff the Old Coop Cohen and Leonard Hollywood Aberman. of Baseball and Barbecue. This is episode number 222. I am Leonard Hollywood Aberman, and I am here with my outstanding, outstanding host, Jeff, the old coot Cohen. Hi, Jeff. Leonard, how you doing, Leonard? All right. I... I'm sorry I took your I, people could be like they're gonna be listening. Wait, what is this bizarro world? Jeff's not <laughs> Jeff's not doing the intro, but Jeff, episode two twenty two, it is three twos. Does yes, that it mean is. anything? We have three dugs too. And who are they? Well, we have Tina Cannon, along with guest host Doug Shining. One Doug. And then we have an announcement by Doug Shining. Two Dugs. And finally, we have a major league pitcher who pitched, I did believe, for Toronto last year, Matt Whistler, again with guest host Doug Shining. Three Dugs. Three twos, <laughs> three Dugs. So it's a Doug-centric episode. It is. <laughs> We're going to get right to it, but hold on a second. Let me just tell everyone, it's playoff time and the road to Vegas goes through San Francisco and Baltimore. Bet Online is your number one source for playoff football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props, head to Bet Online today to stay updated on all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. Okay, so what are we starting with, Len? Oh, we're going to start with television personality. We learned so much about what a special person Tina Cannon is. So we've got Tina Cannon. You're really going to enjoy this one. Joined by Doug, and then we will be back after that. Our guest has been seen on such TV barbecue shows as BBQ Brawl on the Food Network, American Grilled on a Travel Channel, and she was the winner of season one of the highly popular Netflix show, Barbecue Showdown. Not only that, she was also the 2020 barbecue champion for, of the World Food Championships. She is French trained chef and avid gardener and is known for her elegant pearls as she cooks her way to the top of the BBQ mountain. And you can see all about her on our website, tinacannoncooks.com. She is the one and only Tina Cannon. Welcome, Tina. Hey, y'all. Hope y'all are doing good. Doug Shiding is joining us this evening. Doug's a very frequent guest co-host on this show. As a, he still is a guest, and we always allow our guests to 
to lead off. So batting first and leading off is Doug Shining. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, Lynn. So yeah, uh, nice to, to finally meet you, Tina. So I wanted to start off with, they mentioned the pearls and the hashtag pearly girl on Instagram, yeah. et cetera. Tell me how that kind of came about and, and uh, you started using that moniker. Well, pearls are just something in the South that a lot of women wear. Oh, for and sure. I'm not, I, I don't have a fashion statement. So I know y'all are guys, y'all don't care here about, but I'm not really good with fashion. So it's always just been something I've worn since a very young age. But the phrase pearly girl was actually yeah. shotgun on American Barbecue Showdown on Netflix. He called me that all the time while we were on set. Pearly girl. I don't oh. know if you remember my name or what, but pearly girl was what he called me. So it stuck. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Tina, you've been on a lot of shows and you've talked about, you know, barbecue showdown and the other shows, and we're going to get to all those. But what I want to start with is I was doing some research and I found on YouTube, oh, you know, this is all, it's all good. I found on YouTube, though, the Tina Cannon show. <laughs> I can't believe that's still up. Yes. So, so it was fascinating. So for <laughs> anyone who, who doesn't know, it's on YouTube. Oh, no. The Tina Cannon show. And it's Tina Sands Pearls. You, were, you didn't have the pearls. And you were cooking, you were you were at home, and you were cooking a, uh, it was a pork roast, I guess. Yes, a pork roast. Right? Yes. A pork roast. And you were showing how to take off of, of the skin, and yeah. you, so you made the pork, and you made it in the oven, partly, and you made it on outside on on a kettle grill. And you stuffed it with, uh, you put a, a a Portuguese sausage in it. And that was fascinating how you did that. I wish you hadn't have brought that up. I would have cleared that if I'd have known that before. Because <laughs> I don't own the rights to that video. There was a guy oh. that I don't know if he still films or anything, Daryl Mast. He's an unusual fellow that used to be really involved in barbecue. And he asked to come and film me. And he just put all of the footage on there. He didn't edit. He didn't clear it. My <laughs> sister still kids me. So this this might be there was some inappropriate rubbing of the meat. I, not, not, I didn't see that. that I didn't well, see. I saw it and my sister saw it because, uh, <laughs> you know, anyway, and that was shot in my house. And he actually asked me not to wear any jewelry because he says people will write if you have jewelry on when you cook. So it was the strangest. I'm like, okay, because you know I didn't know. You know, I had only. I uh, think I'd been on one television show back then, and that was uh, on the Travel Channel. You know, and I just thought, okay, I'll do what what you ask. And he didn't edit it. He loaded it, and he owns the rights to that. I have asked him several times, please take that down. But oh. now all the world, I'm sure, is going to go look at it. I'm so Maybe sad. he'll go viral with his yeah. Well, <laughs> this was a fun interview. Lynn. Well, <laughs> I'm so, Tina. I'm so sorry, but that's okay. But you were excellent in it, and I learned a lot. And you made some delicious dishes: the pineapple with the um, the with the bananas, and 
Yes, you'll make that. That's a good dish in the summer. You made a green goddess sauce, and I enjoyed watching it. That's all I'm (laughs) going to say. I think he shot that because he wanted to like edit it and send it. He wanted to send it to TV shows and sell me. Okay, you know I didn't know. Now, now I have learned a lot. Right. Right. And nobody sells me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What year was this? When did this all occur? I think maybe 2014. Okay. Okay. Not I'm too, sure not it says the date on the video. I don't know when he loaded it, but it was like right after I filmed the Travel Channel show American Grill. Gotcha. And uh, and I had won that show. And uh, I think it was right around that time. Okay. Well, because I, it I made me th- it. it made me think, you know, the we want to know, you know, people watch these shows, right? The 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 barbecue brawl and the barbecue showdown and they see these people and they think, Oh, they just showed up, but you have a big past, you know, the way you got there. And that's what I'm really interested in knowing. So if you could just take us back, I know, I know you went to, you, you went to culinary school, right? Many years ago. Where'd you go to culinary school? I went to a school that's now been eaten up by Cordon Bleu, but it was called La Varanne in Paris, France. So I'm classically trained, even though I don't speak classically. Um, (laughs) So, you know, where you learn, you know, French style cooking is in the methods, methodology, the mother sauces. The culinary school in Europe was very, very different and very militant back in 1981. Uh, very different. And then I came back to the U.S. and also got another culinary degree from the Art Institute, which a lot of people are familiar with that, uh, which is a very different style of teaching, not as not as classic as the European style. So I've got two culinary degrees. So, But I cook barbecue, which you don't need a culinary degree to do. Uh, that's wonderful. I want to ask you a couple of questions on, on your, obviously, on, on barbecue. Uh, first, what as you go on these TV shows and uh, Netflix and, and uh, Travel Channel Food Network, do they seek you out or do you, uh, do you do you seek them out? I've been on five shows now and I have never applied for a show. I know that sounds haughty and I don't mean it that way. I have no idea how they find me. You know, my okay. following is only like, what, 32, 33,000 on Instagram now. It wasn't even that. I wasn't even on Instagram until after Netflix. So I guess they either find me from being at contest or find me online or somebody refers. I have no idea. And what happens is when they say they contact you, I thought it was fake. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to believe anything anymore. And I made them call me from a landline and that's Mm -hmm. like almost impossible because I wasn't, wasn't sure. And then they ask if you're interested. They go through a bunch of series of questions. And then, of course, you have to fill out an application at that point because legal reasons, you know, right. they have to have, you know, all your information. And then they let me know, like, gosh, within a week or 10 days, it was pretty fast. I hear some people it takes takes longer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't I don't know if they have a different vetting system or whatever. Ours was the first season on Netflix, so it went pretty quick. And um, the Travel Channel actually went pretty quick, too. They they actually called me, and I was at a barbecue contest that week before I filmed it. And I'm glad I just so answered the phone because my dad was ill at the time, and I thought, well, a better answer. 
And it went very quickly. I mean, within three weeks, I knew that I was going to be on the show and I was cooking at another contest and left the contest, drove directly to Savannah and filmed the show. No sleep, up all night. <laughs> so, so it's it's been a it's been a whirlwind, but that was just it was just so weird to get a phone call out of the blue, you know. Well, it's great that they seek you out. And do you have any favorite cookers that you cook on? And I know looking at your videos, you use a, a green egg, and you have other yeah. several other ones out there. So which yeah, one do you like? The, like to the use egg best? I had cooked, I've cooked on just you name it, just about I've cooked on it. It kind of you know it depends on what I'm cooking, mood mm-hmm. and weather. I know that that sounds strange. Because if I haven't got time to fuss with something, I'll use my gravity fed. You know, it's got a guru on it and, you know, let it rock. Or I have a, a combination grill that's both pellet and stick burner. Sometimes I'll use pellet. Sometimes I'll use stick burner. Depends on what flavor I'm wanting and how you know how much time I want to spend. I think I love them all equally. I do. I use the egg a lot because I do a lot of more hot and fast grilling like during the week. You can light that little mini max up and it's hot by the time you can get your meat seasoned and throw it on there. So I think there's like a whatever my need is or my want for that day is mm-hmm. what grill I use. And I probably my sponsors probably would rather me choose one particular grill, but I'm just being honest. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, I want to go back to kind of what Lynn was talking about is, you know, I'm very interested in. You being a classically trained chef, you know, Tuffy Stone is also French, mm-hmm. French trained as well. Multi-part kind of, did you cook in, in kitchens and in, in restaurants? Oh, yes. That's all I've ever done. Just about my whole life. So, I mean, even now, I mean, I cook professionally as a chef. Uh, as, uh, like catering or, or actually I've catered too, but no, I've worked for the JW Marriott in Atlanta and some higher end restaurants in Atlanta through the years, you know, on a line. You know, wearing the big hat and everything. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. So yeah. how did you make the transition to barbecue? Was it just a passion thing or just kind of in your family, your your roots? Or? Well, you know, my family, of course, you know, the South, we like to barbecue and grill out a lot. So I've always kind of grilled and cooked outside with the family. But I always tell people, I, honestly, I watched the first Pitmasters. Ah. And when I saw that show, I started going to contests and watching, and I thought, I can do that. And that watching that show is what gave me the passion. And I was at a contest. I took, a, let's see, my very first contest was in Lake Martin, Alabama, and I won. Well, you know, you win, you get $100 or whatever in a little trophy. You're, you know, you're, you've been hooked. So oh, yeah. That's, it, yeah, that's you, kind of how you that won. Went. You won by having the fish hook stuck in your mouth. That's exactly right. So, and I thought, well, gosh, I did pretty good, you know. So, you know, I've told the story many times about how I got invited to that contest was on a fluke. The guy was the superintendent of a company that was putting a roof on my house during a terrible storm, blew a lot of my roof and damaged it. And he said, gosh, this is good barbecue because I'd invited the crew to eat. And he kept talking to my husband. Instead of me, my husband will listen to this. He gets mad when I say this. I mean, he's from New Jersey. They he didn't he grew up in an apartment. They didn't grill. They didn't barbecue. They, didn't. but anyway, he kept talking to my husband, and he went to the truck and got an application and handed it to my husband. So I filled it out, sent it in, oh. went to the contest, and won. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know what's the strangest thing? 
that guy that no longer works for that company stays in touch with me on social media and he now cooks on a big green egg and he writes me asking questions and advice. Oh, that a big turnaround. That's, that's <laughs> great. What's, what's your barbecue team name? I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. The pit crew. The pit crew. Okay. Yeah. I took uh, last year off and only did some non-sanctioned type charity events. Uh-oh. And didn't do any didn't do any sanctioned events at all, a lot of local because I've I have a charitable heart and there's a lot of things I would like to, you know, money to go to here in my community. So this year, I'm going right back at it. And my first contest is the first weekend in March in Lawrenceville, Georgia. So is that a KCBS I'm, event or it's what? It's gonna be what a KCBS that? event. Uh-huh. Oh, it's called Sip and Swine. It's a huge contest, and I've actually won it before. So let's hope I can go and you know, do well. Now I did some, some big green egg events and cooked at their events and they do some contests and I've won at those, but those are all non-sanctioned type events. I'm going yeah. back into it a little heavier this year. So what, oh. what, what grills are you taking to contest then? I cook uh, in competition cooking. I cook on a Southern Q. It's okay. a gravity fed type smoker. It's made here in Georgia. And I did quite well with that. And I've been cooking with those in competition since 2012. Oh, got it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about you. You mentioned you have a charitable heart, and I would say that is that might be an understatement from everything that I've seen. Tell us about what you're doing, and especially Meals on Wheels, because every time I hear you speak and you talk about Meals on Wheels and your involvement with that. It's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a forgotten group of people, unfortunately, not this weekend. I actually did a charity event with a Falcons football player for a children's charity to help, you know, fight hunger during, you know, the schools system. We know when kids are out of school, they don't have meals. So I do have other charities that I work with, but meals on wheels would be, my main charity that I'm solely involved with as far as my day-to-day here in my community. So this year I'll be over, this last year I was over 60,000 meals alone Wow! in one year. Wow. One year. In one year. Yeah, single-handedly. Yeah. Takes a lot of work (laughs) to do that. Now I cook. But we have people that portion it up. We have drivers. I mean, it, it take. I mean, it's a big group of people. Mm-hmm. I just cook there, that you know, and do the menus and things like that. But you know, this it's a huge group of people that you know to get everybody fed in our community because you know we have a large county here. So it was. It, I think when the, the exact number, you know, we have to. I know it's January and we don't have the exact number, but it'll be over 60,000 last year. The year before that, I think it was 54 or 56,000. Wow. So we're growing, but you know, it's not good when you have that many people that's in need, no. you know? Well, no. so Tina, then I, I wonder when you, when you're on these shows, like, you know, that we've mentioned and you go in there and they have these amazing kitchens, uh, you know, pantries, food pantries. Yeah. And hopefully they do something with the food that's cooked because uh, I've, I've heard that, you know, they'll they'll donate it. But how does it make you feel when you walk into them? Does part of you look and say, wow, all of this could go towards. Every you know, time I'm anywhere, if I do any charity, even 
even yesterday, yesterday was Sunday, yes, I had to think. I, even yesterday at the event that I was at, you know, we cooked and handed out some samples. And like I said, there was a, a retired uh, Falcons football player there. And we were, he was signing autographs, basically just to make people aware. People don't realize that children in school don't get meals, you know, or they have no food when they get home. I ask for all of that. Anything that was left, can I take it? You know, to take it to build. I mean, I, I sound like I'm groveling all the time, I think. But, you know, every little bit helps, especially when it's seasoning and spices. Those are, as you know, very expensive to purchase. Mm -hmm. So I always love that. I'm not sure what Netflix did with all of their leftover product because they pretty much when you're done, you're done. You know, they whisk you away. But I always put a bug in their ear to look for a local a local charity, especially Meals on Wheels, because usually, you know, they will have a van or a volunteer that's willing to come pick it up. But different counties, different states, you know, have different rules as far as what they can accept and what they can't. You know, uh, it's, you know, for safety, food control safety, and, you know, so no one gets sick. So I understand they have to have rules. Like when I have a hog class here, I teach hog, I'm very, very careful. You know, there's a lot of meat when you cook hog, right? So I I take that to Meals on Wheels and they get barbecue for the day, which is always great. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, my, my father in law drove for Meals on Wheels uh for oh, many, yeah. many, many years. So my mom mine. did too. Mine did too. No, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. When um my I was quite young in the summertime, I would go with her, you know, so I was uh -huh. familiar with the program. And, you know, I'd get to meet, you know, some of the clients. So it's always been, you know, around. So that's why when I got old enough to do something on my own, I really don't have a lot of skills other than I know how to cook. So it's a skill that I've been able to contribute. And I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to do that here in my community. I just wish there wasn't such a great need. Absolutely. So that's, yeah, that's fantastic. So you mentioned your, you know, your skill at cooking and, and your education and how does that help you in barbecue and what advantage does that provide you? Well, you don't use the techniques really. You're really good with your timing when you been, you know, cook for so many years, like I have. Okay. In school. I think it's helped me with timing and organization as far as what you've heard the term mise en pots mise, to get, your, me, to get exactly. your, you know, what together, right. You know, so it, <laughs> it, it's helpful with that. Because when you start, if you can knock that part out and be organized and have all your timeline and everything together, I could say my culinary background was helpful in all of that to have. But the flavor profiles, no. I mean, culinary school, you're not you don't you don't learn any of that type, not that flavor profile. Oh, but you can apply the knowledge in other ways. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm actually a, a recovering engineer, so I'm on the timeline and organization. That actually helps me in in uh, in cooking as well. I'm a competition cook, so but yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I can see that. That's interesting. You say that the flavor profiles don't really, but I, you probably have a good palate, and that actually can help in that. Yeah, I, I like to think that I do, and I was so lucky that during COVID because I've had COVID three times. Uh, wow. that I did not lose my smell or taste. Right. I did for a short period of time because um, even in culinary school or even now, I'm very sensitive to smells. I can smell the difference in skim milk and whole milk. 
Oh, or yeah. I don't drink very many soft drinks, but I can smell the difference in Coke and Pepsi. A lot of wow. people can't do that. So I'm very, very sensitive. So mine is, uh, you know, cooking with, with wood and your fuel is part of your flavor. A lot of people that aren't into barbecue don't realize that's one of your levels of flavor. Yes, you've got your barbecue seasoning, you've got your sauce, you've got your injection, but your fuel is part of your flavor, whether you use, you know, a lump charcoal, which brand, what type of wood it's made from, and of course, what type of wood you use. You know, in the South, we use a lot of pecan and hickory. Other areas, I guess in Texas, I don't know in competition, I don't think they do, but mesquite has a definite flavor. Green, you know, green oak or green hickory versus you know, seasoned. So it all has a different flavor that, you know, layers into the meat differently. And that's a, a key thing that I always teach in school. You have to take that account that that wood, that fuel is part of your flavor profile, not just your seasonings and your sauces. Yep, absolutely. It's an accent though. But uh, yeah, here in Texas, we use actually, you know, mesquite you mentioned, but I, I like to mix it with pecan or oak. Yeah, I, I do love pecan wood. I'd have to say, that's my very favorite. My very it is. Favorite it's food. my new favorite too. I, I used to <laughs> use oak all the time. Uh, you know, when I cooked on offsets, we use blackjack oak. But uh, yeah, I like uh, oak and pecan. Pork loin, like the one that y'all saw me. I, I love pork loin or quick cooking meat with pecan pork mm-hmm. chops. That's just my favorite. I was thinking about that when uh, thinking back to the show because you were talking about. Now, flavor profile, it didn't affect it, but you did something on the show that was unexpected. At least the judges didn't expect it. And on the beef ribs, you use now, and let's do a little plug for you, your European blend, which I guess on the show, though, you threw together the ingredients that mm-hmm. now your European blend, which you sell on your website. Went- and 100% of the profits. Go to Meals on Wheels. Just yeah, and that's, a, that's a beautiful wow. content. Yeah. yeah. But that was a flavor profile that nobody expected. And that that did great things for uh, for the ribs. Yeah, and- it, it's a great seasoning on beef. It, it's pretty versatile. I get a lot of people say it's, oh, I use it on potatoes. I use it on this and use it on that. I've been making that seasoning, you know, for a long time, you know, throwing it together at the house. So it took me over a year to get a company to get that blend right. Because like if you go to the grocery store or a big box store and you buy this brand of pepper or this brand of parsley, it tastes different than that brand. It's not exactly the same because it depends on the processing, where it's grown, where it's picked, that type of thing. So it, it took a solid year of different companies. And the company that that I use for that is in Texas. So I'm in Texas a lot and they blend it just perfectly. And I'm so happy. I wish I could have used someone more local, but I tried let's see, more than a dozen different companies. It gets quite expensive to pay them for R&D to get it right. You know, but that was going to be my signature seasoning and I wanted it right. And it to me, it's just perfect. It's very, it's low sodium and it's gluten free, which is kind of key. Uh, you know, everybody has salt. You could add your own salt. That's, you know, the price that it is because it doesn't contain a lot of salt. I could have made it at probably at least half the price if I'd have filled it with salt. But I just didn't do that. May not be a great business decision, but it tastes good. (laughs) 
Who's your Texas co-packer? I'm in Texas. I'm curious. I'll tell you when we're not online. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We yeah, a few secrets here and there. So Lynn yeah. mentioned the beef ribs on the Netflix show. And mm-hmm. I read something that, and this is actually, I have a recipe out there and I, I wrap my beef ribs at about 180 in aluminum foil and you mm-hmm. used aluminum foil because that's all they had. Are you yeah. aluminum foil or are you more of a butcher paper type lady? You know, I've, I've did it both ways. I know that, you know, I think just habit I use foil uh-huh. you know, when I'm in my trailer or whatever, but I've, I've actually cooked them both ways. If I overshoot my wrapping time, like say I should have wrapped them like 30 minutes ago or something at home, I may opt for butcher paper. Oh, okay. Or if, okay. if they're extremely fatty and when I wrap them and you know, it's going to, you know, melt down and I will use butcher paper at that time. I kind of make that call. I keep both here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know there's people that's one school or the other. Yeah, I'm a religious guy. I'm for it. But uh, so you know, but I use you know a heavy duty, you know, thick, thick foil, and I usually wrap them twice so the bones, you know, don't pierce it because I want that juice in there. Because a lot of times I'll make a a sauce. Oh, absolutely. You got to put Liqu- that on mashed potatoes with the beef ribs. So. Liquid gold. Yeah, I always uh, strain. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I cooked a brisket exactly. yesterday and strained the au jus. So, yes. Yeah, I've got a brisket in my, you know, we're having this bad weather's coming through now. And I just don't know if I want to be outside to cook a brisket and, you know, 20 degree weather. I'm, I'm not good with cold uh, and snow. Well, you I'm, I'm not a good yeah. snow and cold yeah. person. And, and where you are, you shouldn't have that weather anyway. That's right i know but we are (laughs) not today but coming up this week i guess it's going across the nation yeah it's hitting us right now so we we had ice today and and, uh, the high the high was about 18 degrees so wow breaking news desk wow here's a story actually it hasn't been released yet but by spring i know people kid me all the time they go why do you not have a barbecue rub? You're a barbecue person, right? And I don't. Well, now I'm going. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah. So I, it has taken me this long. So I'm trying to do it. It hadn't even got the packaging lined up 100%. I'm trying to do it in a barbecue set, chicken, pork, and beef in a box. So you can get them all. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, I haven't told anybody, but my mom, my co-packer, and my husband, and my dog is here. So and know. now us. And now That's y'all. Awesome. Are, yeah. I have not. And um, I'm really super excited about it, but we're have just trying to get the packaging right, the nutritionals, everything's done. Is once we get a, a deal on the packaging, because I want to do it as a set, because I, you know, as y'all barbecue people, when I go, I often, if I see somebody has three different things, I'm going to get them. I don't know about you, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to get them. Now, and what's a it? cook, maybe not, but as a home cook, I'm going to try everybody's, each one they got. And announcement number two? Well, <laughs> so I have, um, haven't had a school like in six months. So I'm partnering with, do y'all know John Lindsay from All yeah. Cued Up? Yeah. Okay. He and I. I mean, we still, I mean, I don't even have like everything done yet, but on the 22nd, which is March 22nd, which is a Friday and the 23rd, which is a Saturday, he and I are doing a school here in Noonan. 
And it's it's like a master class. We're going to do some different stuff, too. I mean, we're going to start Friday night with Surf and Turf, and we're going to do the lobster that I did on Netflix. And he's a steak champion, as y'all know, so he's going to do steak. We're doing wings. We're doing pork loin. We're doing beef ribs. We're doing brisket. And, I mean, we're going to just just kill it. We're going to do everything in a day and a half. So whoever signs up for that school, is going to be tired when they go home. <laughs> like Harry Sue style doing 30 <laughs> recipes. Yes. That's, you know, that's, that's exactly right. That's so funny. And, you know, I had talked to John Lindsay and he and I have known each other, but we had never cooked together ah. and we did a show together several months ago. We did um, the barbecue country together and I met him in person and, you know, he's so sweet anyway. I felt like I already knew him and he said, well, I already know everything about you, you know, with his draw. He's got, I know I'm one to talk about a Southern draw. But anyway, so we talked about it and we've stayed in constant contact since we filmed that show uh, last year. And so now we've decided to get together and do it here at my compound here. So I've got all these different grills. So we're going to cook on every different grill something. So there's going to be something that somebody wants to know. <laughs> Okay. Now, did you say you're going to do your big announcements? I've told no one. No one thank all. you. All right. Thank <laughs> you. Did you say you're going to do your lobster, though? Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're going to do the lobster okay. dish and we're going to do steak and lobster on Friday night. And then uh, I'm going to do a, like a steakhouse type dinner. We're going to mm-hmm. do two sides, dessert, the whole thing. Next well, day, we're going to start with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're going nice. to do everything you could name it. The the reason I'm asking is because I know that that uh, lobster in, in the show had a profound effect on you, but it's nice to know that you're back to cooking lobster. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna cook, but I'm not gonna do that part. <laughs> no, you're not right. <laughs> I'm just having the tail ship directly here. So okay, we're gonna that way. We're gonna do that recipe. We're also gonna do the beef rib recipe. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we're going to teach that directly, the whole recipe. There'll be goodie bags and all that. So I'm super excited because I usually do all my classes alone. You know, so this time partnering up with someone that's that's so sweet and such a good cook in our, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. So uh, we're going to put like a, I think tomorrow or the next day, we're going to put a flyer out online. Hopefully there'll still be some spots available when y'all air this. I think it, we could do 20. I really don't think we should do more than that because I want everybody to be able to see and be involved. Like when I do a hog class, I try not to do, I try to do like eight, but I would do because some people just bring people that want to watch because I want everybody to get in there, you know, and see what it's like. Cause it's very different than watching someone cook a hog and then getting in there and cutting the ribs out and, you know, I take the spinal cord out, you know, and different things like that. So it's a, a big, a big difference. My hog class is small, hands-on, you know, and that we want this to be as much hands-on as possible rather than just watching, you know, because anybody can watch. I mean, you can look at videos all day on, you know, online about how to do something. But being there and actually getting a little bit of hands-on and being able to one-on-one ask questions directly without these massive classes that have, you know, 75 people in it where you can't really do that. Put it on your website, tinacannoncooks.com. Yeah, it'll be on there and it'll be where they can email me with any questions and all of that. Yeah. 
Excellent, excellent. I want to get back to the Netflix show because we we've had talked to a lot of pitmasters, and we talk we talk a lot about the camaraderie that the hookers that the pitmasters have with each other. And on your show, you had uh, uh, seven other people along with yourself, and mm-hmm. it seemed like you all got along. Was there any issues or, or anything like that going on between everybody, or you just or was it all like you know all lovey dovey? Kumbaya, yeah, kumbaya. Uh, That's the word I was looking was, for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On set, everybody was, I mean, everybody was fine. I know, um, there, you know, there's issues that come up, but it wasn't like issues between people in that manner. One of our people was allergic to seafood, so it was difficult to try for him to navigate that. And he was a little stressed about that. Uh, Georgia found out she was pregnant while she was on the show. So she had some sickness. <laughs> Let's see, Ashley. They did film his his breakdown a little bit. It was a little more intense than that. You know, everybody deals with stress and the cameras and everything literally being like right on you like mm. this. You know, people, um, you know, different people handle it differently. It's, it is stressful. Luckily, that kind of thing doesn't bother me. I guess because I've worked in kitchens, very crowded kitchens where everybody's all over each other. So I think that helped me not worry about that part. I think like afterwards, there was one particular person on the show that has not ever spoke to me again and um, had really had hurt my feelings. I didn't realize there was any problem at Mm. all and has maybe made some comments on his podcast and some other things that I was kind of surprised that people brought me attention to. But, you know, that that's his world. And uh, he's a great cook. You know, that's that. You know, right. I don't like that. You know, I like my mom said, if you don't have anything nice, to, and I don't have anything <laughs> bad to say because my my I was fine. I didn't realize there was any any problem. Uh, Sylvia and I still talk, you know, online. She's a great cook. I really admire her. Shotgun, he's hilarious. He he is exactly what he was on the show. I saw Georgia a couple months ago, and Ashley. Matter of fact. Uh, we went up to Melissa Cookston's place and did a charity event up there for the Boys and Girls Club of Memphis. Melissa had asked me personally, and I was so flattered by that. And we went, and we three cooked together. And then the other season, kind of, there was a few of those players there that cooked. So it was nice to meet them because I had not met any of them. So it was a really nice event. So it's good that that I did not realize there was any animosity between any other players on there until afterwards, because I would have been like, hmm, you know, I don't know. I probably <laughs> maybe I had not, maybe I would not have done as well. You know, if anybody's going to watch the barbecue showdown show on Netflix, it's season one that Tina won. Everybody should know that you did change your clothes on the show because on every show, everybody had the same, same clothes. So yeah. I think they did that for editing reasons. I'm not really sure. Because like when we would leave for the day, they would have the same outfit clean and in our room when we got back. Or if you got really dirty, you know, you had another another outfit. Yeah, that was that's so funny that that was the biggest question that people ask. You know, (laughs) but and like when uh, Ashley tore his shirt because it was really really hot. Um, They made some of the show seem like it happened. I think in the fall, but it was. I don't think there was a day under 90 and never under 90% humidity or higher. But when he tore his shirt, they had to get another shirt and had to actually have it cut exactly to match. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we had clean clothes. He had 
several shirts that were torn to match. <laughs> <laughs> and and Rutledge was great. He's I don't think he you know he's not involved in the show anymore. I'm not sure of that whole thing, but he was sad. He is hilarious. You know the way he is on the show. If you watch him on NASCAR, he's just that way. Because even not on camera, one morning we got on set like at six a.m. or you know, it wasn't even daylight. It might have been earlier than that. He was in one of our stations. I think it was George's station cooking himself breakfast. And we come in, and he goes, Hey, y'all, anybody want some eggs? I mean, he was so, he, he was such a delight to work with. He really was. I, I really uh, loved, loved him. And he actually lives in the town next to me. And I run into him at the chiropractor periodically. So he's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Tina, 21 days, 21 days uh, you did this show. Of course. 21 days that you didn't get paid nope. for that. Okay. Now, of course, people could say, well, you could use that. It's going to help if you're, if that's the career you're looking to take or you want to go further in barbecue. But how did you guys feel about that? I guess you knew going in, you weren't getting paid. So, but yeah. well, Netflix we got it is, per DM. We did oh, get, I think it was oh, like, did, okay. I, I think it's beyond the time now I can talk about it. I think it was two fifty a day per diem, but they took out any of your expenses. Like they had to get me a new pair of shoes. Literally, the little red tennis shoes I had on, right. they wore out. And they had to get me another pair. Really? And they had to Amazon or whatever. And they know, took that from you. They took yeah, that they from take, your two fifty per diem. What you eat, <laughs> anything like you order, you know, any because some people we usually ate together in the hotel. They would have food delivered, and um, we would all eat together. If we went anywhere, we all went together. You know, they kept a, a pretty tight rein on us um, that particular, because being the first season, I, I think that it wasn't quite so strict in the seasons after. I think it was the first season they just, you know, wanted to make sure it made it. and You know, they didn't want any secrets out. So we did everything together. It was like, what is that show? Big Brother, whatever they live together. Right. In the house. <laughs> so it was kind of like that. So we always, and then we'd, you know, go to our rooms. And I think they knew if we were, we, we were not allowed to go anywhere. Some of the people like, I'm, I'm not a huge drinker, but like people like wine or whatever, they were taken to the liquor store to get it. Or if they wanted McDonald's, they were taken or had to walk with their handler to the McDonald's across the street. I had to go to like Walmart because I needed shampoo or something. So we had a Walmart run and everybody that needed something got in the van and we went and got what we needed. And the other people that stayed at the hotel stayed with their handler, you know, kept an eye on them. It was like being babysat all the time. <laughs> wow. Food Network was like that too, though. Food Network was the same. They they kept a, a tight rein on where you were and where you went. You've cooked them one. Yeah, you know, they don't want it out who won, who got kicked off, what you cooked, you know, who's who, whatever. So, you know, I'm a rule follower, even though I do know a lot of people probably made some pictures and things that they sure not, you know, should not have and shared them later. If somebody tells me not to do something, I'm not doing. Yeah, yeah, they don't want the <laughs> word getting out. So, what? Well, yeah, I know you've been on a lot of shows and stuff, and yeah. and obviously won a lot. What are what are your favorite one or two that you you know that you've won? As far as the shows? Yeah. Or well, even contests or even contests. Oh, God, contests. You know, there used to be a contest in Dillard, Georgia, that was an invitation only, a big contest. and You had to be the you-know-what to get asked to go. 
it now, unfortunately, after COVID, they, they don't have it anymore. And the 19th year or the 20th year was the last year. And I won it. And the thing is, I was not going to go. I was, you know, I had something else to do. I was, you know, I wasn't invited first. That's what happened. I wasn't. Invited. Then all of a sudden I got a call from the person that headed it up. Her name was Jane Tomlin. And she called and said, hey, we have a spot open. Would you be interested in coming? About drop the phone, you know, because, I mean, to be able to go, you know. So I was able to compete in that. I think, I don't know, two or three years I got to go. And I, I got calls each time and won it the last year that I went. So that was a big deal because, you know, not not a lot of women cook in that contest. Matter of fact, when I won it, I don't like I think I was the only one because Melissa wasn't there. And uh, so that was a, a big deal for me to be an invitational that at the time was such a prestigious event, you know, in Georgia at the time. Right. And then I, back, uh, Sam's Club used to have a big series. And oh, I won yeah. one of the regions in that back in, I don't know if it was 2012 or 13. And I won that. That was a big deal for me. I mean, there's been several. But those those were really key things. Another one I won against, you know, the guy that builds my smokers and trailers. He's been kind of my, you know, one of my mentors. So so uh, early on, and uh, I beat him. I was grand. He was reserved. You know, things oh. like that that make make these memories. I mean, I have a barn. I don't know if y'all have ever seen the video where I, I, I walk through my barn with all my trophies, and you know it. My husband fixed it up one day and I can go up there and it's it's a lot of really, really good memories. I can point at each one and there's a good memory. So there's probably about, I don't know, eight or 10 that that really, really stand out. I mean, all of them, though, I could say, oh, I remember this. I remember that. So they're all special to me. Um, yeah. Whether it's a little bitty trophy like the first one I got or, uh, you know, some of the big crystal ones that I have. So. That, that that would there was another one. That's another one. I won. It was a double. It was the first double contest I did where it's back to back KCBS, you know. Yep. And um the first day, she's no longer competing, but it was called her name, it was J and B's barbecue, I believe. J and B's. So she was like third that day, one day and first the other, and we switched off. But I ended up winning the grand and overall points. For both days. Oh, for both, yeah. So, yeah, so you know we were neck and neck, but that was a really a really cool one. To and I've got beautiful trophies. Those are actually one of the few I keep in my house. You know, so because they're <laughs> not I mean, relegated they're, to the barn. <laughs> that, no, not to the. And it's a loft. I mean, it's it's really pretty a, up there. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's a loft. It's a yeah. loft. You got all the trophies up there. Yes. Quite impressive. When I need some motivation, I'll go up there and walk around. And go, okay, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Tina, you were on Barbecue Brawl. And of course, that's, uh, you know, Bobby Flay uh, is one of the, you know, Bobby Flay, Michael Simon. Uh, and I forget who your season was the, uh, the third. Yeah, Tila and um, Amber Rail and was were the other two coaches right. that year. Okay. And then Carson Cressley's on there uh, for the comedic element. And although he knows some cooking. Oh, um, he actually, he, yeah. he really, more than you even know. Yeah. He is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But now coming into that, are you looked at as, 
Oh, that's Tina Cannon, the the one she won Barbecue Showdown. That's uh, is there like a target on your back when you go on a show like that after having won uh, the Netflix show? I'm sure with the other contestants, possibly, you know. But as far as the 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 crew and all that, right. they don't care. It's just a job to them. I hate right. to say that, right. but you know that it's just a job. I don't think. The only person that I think that knows your background or anything is who recruits you for the show. Gotcha. I don't know if that's by design. They don't want the other people filming or anything to know, mm. you know, the camera people. So they don't show partiality. Right. So it may be by design, but um, usually the only people that know is who recruits you for the show. Right. Should have made, I think I should have made finals on that. Well, that I'm not yeah. saying I should have won. I'm just <laughs> saying I think I should have made finals because it was really strange. They'll talk to you and say, "Oh yeah, this was good. This tasted blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, when you're sitting there hearing what they got to say, they say something like totally different. Like I was so surprised that Rodney Scott said something about my greens when he was eating them there in front of me. Listen. I'm a Southerner. I know how to make some collard greens. You know what I'm saying? So, right. and then for him to say there was something missing or something, I was like, you know, you know how Ren and Stimpy, freaking Frank, you know, when you're walking off, you know, I was like, no. <laughs> that is it. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not saying I should have won, but I should have made finals. That's the only, like, I think bitterness that I, that I had. And then, a lot of times when you meet your idols, they're very different than what you think they are. And that's yeah. all I can really say about that. Uh, well, <laughs> I went, well, there were a few idols on that show, probably. I would like to know yes. which idol you're talking about, but I won't press you on that. I already... Well, I was on that team, so... Okay. <laughs> Everybody should watch Barbecue Brawl. Uh, that that was a good show, too. And uh, Yeah. Very different than the first season because, you know, the first season had, if you're in the barbecue circuit, everybody that you would know. Right. right? Yes. Uh, and like surprisingly, who went home first? I was like, what? You know, it was so, so odd. But, um, you know, I was on, was on season three, I think. Yeah, season season three. And the second season, the third season were totally different. It was just people in the barbecue world that maybe nobody knew. You know, or unless you were a competition cook and were really hard in it, but or they were restaurant people were in it, like Winnie. She was, and I think she was fantastic. Uh, she doesn't stay in touch with me. I don't know why, but she was unbelievable cook. And I see Sunny periodically. Um, mm -hmm. I saw her recently at, at World Food. Mm -hmm. I was competing in a whole different category, not barbecue. Crazy. I saw her there. So I talked to her periodically, and I'm trying to think, um, who, did I see anybody else at World Food? No, I don't think so. I think that's the only two that I see at World Food. And I see Rashad, you know, post, and I always comment because he's such a nice guy. You know, he's he's who won on Barbecue Brawl. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But I, I did get a lot of people write me and tell me that I got thrown under the bus or I got the shaft on that show. And I was like, yes, other people feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had. James and, you know, Grubbs I got a, I got an email recently from. I'm not going to pull it up while we're on the phone. From somebody from Barbecue Brawl and wanted to know uh, if I was interested in competing. And I thought, 
well, I already did that show, but maybe they wanted me back, right? You know, let me fight. So I wrote back and I said, sure, I would like to compete again. And I think it's just they throw out casting lines, you know, to, to cast people. And maybe whoever this person was didn't know that I was already on there. Because they just throw a wide net out there. They do. Mm-hmm. And they ne- I didn't hear back. That's been like three weeks ago now. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, dang, because I would have loved to go back and defend and cook again and maybe be on a different team. Yeah. We had James Grubbs on and he said that uh, uh, some of the uh, the producers actually got involved maybe in some in the the, the judging, if if you will. Yeah. So on on the Netflix uh, show, yeah, to make it, to make it, yeah, to to make it perhaps uh, better TV and stuff. So. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. And I, you know, I didn't mention him. You know, I stay. I, I've known him since 2014. He was my alternate on the show for American Grill. Don't travel. Yes, he, he's, he spoke very. Met. He spoke very highly of you. Yes, oh, did so. I'm sorry. Yes, I he did. Yes. he is. He is hilarious, and he and I actually stay in touch online. We haven't seen each other because our paths hasn't crossed. But right. We stay in touch online. He is exactly like he was on the show and on Netflix. I think he got a little bit of a you know shaft too. Yeah, but yeah. I did you know it's because his sausage is great, and yeah. you know, you, yeah. He, what did he do at Kansas, right? You know, Kansas City. He, I think he, because I tasted everything he cooked. There was only like one thing that he made, and I told him that I didn't like it. Some kind of tater tot thing or something like that. But everything else he made, I thought was quite good. You know what, Tina? When you're watching the show, I mean, watching the show, when one of the contestants says, oh, this is this is my rare exotic animals. Oh, that's my thing. Uh, sausage, that's my thing. You know, that's telling you what's happening. The yeah. bullseye is on them. Yeah. Really. Exactly. Like but they do encourage, because, uh, you know, grubs in our time is over as far as our agreement. When you're sitting there doing that interview in the chair with the fake smoke and all the stuff behind you, um, they're asking you questions. And you have to answer them like they're not there. You know, like almost repeat the question back. And um, they will ask you the same question several different ways. And then your answer that gets aired might be a little bit different than than what. So I can say yes, I think with the producers, a lot of people don't realize on a show, there's the executive producer and then there's lots of producers. Yeah. Lots. Uh, a lot of people aren't aren't familiar, with, and I didn't know that myself. You know, like why is there like eighteen? You know, everybody has one. You have one. You have you know. So they are encouraging you to talk. Often they try to encourage us to talk a little smack with each other. Yeah, that's just not normal. Like my nature to to badmouth somebody, like especially right there, and I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, and if they really, really need you to talk about something in particular, they will remind you of your contract. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. exactly yeah. So. Uh, you know, we, on your on your contract, you know, it discusses that we can. I mean, they could make you look like a villain. They could make you. It says in there any way they want it, and it yeah. and deceive. I mean, it's like the words, and it, it's like whoa, you know. But uh, I don't think they made me me look bad. They did no. make me look a little squirrely. But I'm like that. I talk out loud, like when I'm trying to figure something out, even if I'm alone. I mean, I I am 
like that, as you can tell from this interview, I go on and on and on. Right, right. Uh, but that was definitely, definitely me. But the thing is, though, I have cooked lobster before. I have cooked hog before, not by myself. I had never built a pit before by myself. And when I built one when I got home, of course, I did not build it the way we did on that show. I built it a little bit differently, easier to use, more air holes, not just the little ones on the ground and all that. So, um, and I filmed that so people would know, yes, I can really do it. But they did, the way they questioned you and asked you, um, it made it sound like I had never done that before. My family from years ago, you know, that's what they did, you know. I may yeah. not have, you know, did it by myself or I may have been there. I may have spritzed it. I may have shoveled cold, but I had never cooked one by myself. So well, I had well, even been before that. I had been to, I think it was 2010. I went to a hog class that Myron Mixon put on. So I went through his whole hog class too. So, I mean, it's not like I wasn't experienced totally. I just did not know how to build a pit. Yeah. I mean, I'm 5'2". I'm, you know, I'm not real strong to be able to pick up. That's not something I would probably do. But I came home and did it on my own in spite, just so people would quit saying, you know, all the stuff they say online. Well, yeah, it's certainly my mixing is one of the best in the in whole hog for sure. And yeah, and, and Melissa, and so, yeah, I was... Uh, I, we've been very gracious with your time. Thank you for uh, so much. That actually was my last question in terms of if you could name a couple of your barbecue mentors, you know, through, the, through your journey so far. Definitely Melissa. Okay. For sure. It would be Myron because he is the first show I saw and thought it was, you know, okay. I would say Robbie Royal. He's like such a nice guy. He's a personality. Yes, but he's he is a very not like in person. I would say another guy from Lang Barbecue Smokers, Daryl Strickland, very very like giving and knowledgeable person. And yeah. Scott Smith, definitely Scott Smith that builds my smokers and my trailers. His team's Q and Stew and Brewing. He's no longer competing. He's on a break, but he yeah. still builds smokers and all that. But hey, he won everything there was. So you know. <laughs> I guess he can finish now, right? <laughs> I think he's playing golf like all the time now or something like that. I hope I didn't leave anybody. There's so many people, but that would have to be ones that I've actually had conversations with about barbecue and have learned from and feel like I could ask them questions and not just like somebody out of the blue. Like, you know, when Melissa asked me to come up and do that event, like she personally asked me, it wouldn't like, Hey, form letter, come do this, you know. So I felt very special that she would want me to come. We appreciate your time and we're gonna let Doug, but Doug asked his last question. We let Doug be the he gets to open, he gets to close. Do you have anything else for Tina? No, I I'm good. Well, I'll I'll take one. All right, there you, you go. Threw, I you threw to... the lead out there. I'll take it. So <laughs> did did you did you cook a fire and ice at the World Food Championships and it and maybe even won that? Yes, I did. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. So. Yeah, world. I, you know, I can't believe I even didn't even mention that as a, a memorable event. But I would definitely say world food because I reserved in barbecue and won fire and ice. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, and okay. then I placed in several categories. So I think I took home like twenty seven thousand dollars that year. That contest alone. 
Oh, that's fantastic. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I know uh, some of the other uh, women pit masters that have cooked like Jackie Milligan. It's a cook. Yeah, yeah. So Jackie's yeah. a good friend of mine. So, but she's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, she's great. So and yeah, I, I thought you might. Cook and she really cooks, you know, women, we get like, oh, your husband does or whatever, you know, she's a, she's a great cook and, and just so and kind too. Oh, absolutely. Her husband washes her dishes for her. That's for what her mine now. does, yeah. <laughs> so, but thank you so much for your time. Oh, and, thank and you've been very gracious. And I you know, didn't have it, and I don't even play baseball. <laughs> That's okay. We, at, you're in Atlanta, so, uh, well, you're in Georgia. So I guess the, the home of the Braves. Home of the Braves, yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. thank, thank you so very much, Tina. Much. We really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you. All right, bye, y'all. And thank you, Tina, for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. You know, she is the champion of the very first barbecue showdown on Netflix. Yes, she is. And deservedly so. I've watched that now at least two times that season. She knows what she's doing. But, Jeff, what I was saying before that interview, she's a very special person. What she does for charitable causes, meal Mm -hmm. on wheels... Was I dreaming? No. She said she cooked 60,000 meals. That's a lot of meals. <laughs> I'm not, I'll never complain about having to make <laughs> dinner again. <laughs> but it all went for a good cause. So that's, you know, that, that makes it very special. Yeah, absolutely. And now, Jeff, I have something special for everyone. The barbecue quote of the week. The only time to eat diet food is while you're waiting for the barbecue to cook. And that was <laughs> Julia Child. Ah, uh, yes. The original <laughs> Julia Child. Not someone that you'd ever think of with a barbecue quote, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And and by the way, I've got two things that I want to tell everyone. After you hear this announcement, this special announcement from Doug Shiding, we have something special from Jeff and for fans of his rants. Oh, I let it out of the bag. You are not going to miss it. You're not going to want to miss it. So we have that. And let me just tell everyone before we get to Doug that they should go to baseballbbq.com, pick up some grilling tools and accessories. It's going to be here. The barbecue season before you know it, get ready. Don't be, don't, think, oh, what am I going to use to cook with? Go to BaseballBBQ.com. And now, the announcement from Doug Shining. I am so excited. You guys are not going to believe this, but our special longest running, he is the longest running guest co-host on the Baseball and Barbecue podcast. It, it He has a rub that is inspired I believe our show has inspired this rub. It is Texas brisket. It is Rogue Cooker's Texas brisket. And it even says on the label, he is also a frequent co-host on the Baseball and Barbecue podcast. None other than Doug. He's gone rogue. Shiding. Welcome, Doug. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, the name of the show is in lights on my label. So thank you for the authorization to do so. 
Sending you big checks and money later. <laughs> Excellent. That goes into the, uh, the the baseball and barbecue retirement fund. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, Doug, we, we know this has been in the works for a while. Has. Uh, it's been under wraps. It's been top secret. And now it's out. Your How many stores is this rub available in right now and where? It is available for 91 stores of Home Depot. And it all stems from being in Home Depot when I went to Memphis in May last year. And I was doing uh, one-hour demos. I did two one-hour demos there. And they, I think, really liked my my brisket demo. And, you know, other people were, you know, Tuffy Stone and Jess Pryles and Chris Lilly and stuff. So I was I was with some heavy – and Rashid, who we, uh, we just mentioned tonight with Tina and stuff. So they were there, and uh, I did a brisket demo, and, and they – they thought it really went well. In fact, they gave me a orange, you know, a Home Depot uh, apron with my name on it, and uh, so so they actually went to to the um, to my co-packer, which is Old World Spice, and uh, they own the barbecue spot name, which has probably about thirty pitmasters, and so I'll be one of the thirty pitmasters. And they requested my rub, and so they actually did an advanced production, and it's uh, in ninety one stores. I Oddly enough, the the one closest to my house I hear is sold out as of tonight because a friend of mine purchased the last bottle, so they'll have to do a reorder. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's in about uh, I think it's almost fifteen cities: Atlanta, you know, KC, and and uh, San Antonio, Houston, uh, Dallas, um, et cetera. So, but about eleven states and about fifteen cities. Doug, how does it feel? I mean, you've been this has been in production for a while. How does it feel to have your label, your name on this, I mean, and in the stores, how do you feel when you see this? It, it, it's kind of surreal, you know, every year at barbecue, it, uh, you know, you think, ah, you know, what else is going to happen? Something else happens every year, you know, uh, just like, you know, last year, the year before, you know, becoming a co-host with y'all and doing more on podcasts and, you know, that every year you're just like wondering what's going to happen. And so this year it's going to be the year of the rub. So in terms of ordering it from the website, it won't be generally available till March or so from my, my rogue cookers, uh, com. That's actually when they're going to do the general uh, production of my three rubs. So in addition to my brisket rub, I've got a all-purpose rub, um, all-purpose seasoning that's that's coming out. And last year, I used it full-time in in uh, in competition. And all four of the competitions that I entered, I actually won awards, won won top fives in 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 all of the, uh, in all of them. So I have been using them in for about two to three years and doing the labels, getting the artwork and all of that. It just takes, it just takes some time. Hopefully this pilot project with Home Depot goes well. And it, so it's myself and uh, uh, four other Mark Lambert is, uh, is, is one of the other pit masters. In fact, I'll be cooking next to him at, Sa- at San Antonio rodeo. So uh, I'll see him coming up later this month. And then uh, we've got uh, Smitty from Luton Booty. And then we've got uh, Blazing Blazing Star is right, also, right, and then right. uh, oh Night yeah, Out. yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So <laughs> exactly, and then and then uh, yeah, Borsnight Night Out with their White Lightning, of course. So yeah, 
Well, so it's, it'll be the five of us pitmasters that are associated with Old World Spice and and Barbecue Spot. And I I actually came into this from uh, from the head country perspective, and I didn't know they were in the process of being purchased by Old World Spice. And they asked me to start developing uh, some rubs two to three years ago. And I said, okay, well, I'll uh, work on on finalizing the rubs, and those are the ones that are coming out. And so, um, like last night, I, I used my Doug's Dust, which I was just told my my trademark is is being approved on that. So I've and that's another part of the process is really getting trademarks on everything and making sure you've got that. And so, um, you know, rogue cookers, low, slow, and rogue. My kind of my tagline is is trademark. Uh, rogue rubs will be uh, trademark. Uh, Doug's dust will be trademarked as well. So um, going through that all that process, and I'm using the uh, the attorney uh, that uh, heard about on the Barbecue Central show. That's very well, helpful. Doug, we appreciate you coming on and let everybody know, and we hope to go nationwide. Uh, from, uh, let's hope, let's hope months. I go nationwide. So yeah, uh, I'm going to try to, uh, that's one of the things of using old world spices. They've got uh, relationships with uh, Ace Hardware and, you know, Academy. And so they can help with some of the distribution um, uh, as well as, you know, and, you know, the blending. And, you know, it was interesting with the interview tonight, she was just talking about Tina was in terms of getting it right. And there is a, a process there. And so, yeah, they've got some uh, brainiac, uh, Scientology, you know, food Scientologists that actually try to match your rub, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that you've created. And it's, it is very particular in terms of what smoked paprika you use, what pepper you use, that sort of thing. So there is a, a definite process, uh, to the whole thing. So that's why it takes a little while, while. Yeah. but, uh, proud to be a part of it and, uh, look forward to see what, uh, what comes down the road later this year. And I appreciate you, uh, having me on and saying a few words about it. And we appreciate you having, uh, our show listed on the label. Yeah. We really so, uh, do. And we can expect the uh, numbers to go sky high. <laughs> sky high. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, <laughs> Doug, if I could just say one thing, because yes, I, I have to be the, the corny one or the uh, I, I take the, everything to heart. And I just want to tell you that seriously, having you on is is a pleasure. And now to have you come out with this, to see our name on it. it and I, I mean, it's just... It's amazing. It really is. So we wish you the best. I know that you're going to be successful. I see you look at this rub. You could see it through the, you know, the label doesn't cover the whole thing. You could tell that it's quality ingredients in here. I mean, the 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 ingredients right here and they're all quality ingredients. We wish you the best and we couldn't be more prouder. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. More so prouder. Much. I don't need. Yeah. More we proud, be, but yeah, it's all we good. We could be more proud. It's all gooder, but yeah. <laughs> so. we, good luck with this. And we're, we we want to hear, uh, you know, reports back on, uh, you know, when you have world domination uh, with your rub. Oh, thank you. Seth. Yeah, well, uh, we'll we'll take it uh, one state of, at a time. So. <laughs> one yeah. Home Depot at a time. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> Thanks, All right. Doug. Thank you, guys. Thanks, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I appreciate yes. it a lot. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and if you like barbecue and you like baseball, then you have to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Jeff and Lynn. They always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue, all in one little package. So check it out. 
Baseball and BBQ with Len and Jeff. Okay, guys, take it away. Thank you, Doug. I didn't even say before thank you, Tina. I think that this one was just Doug. What an announcement, Jeff. We're on that bottle. All right. Our show is on the bottle. It's a beautiful bottle. It's in 91 Home Depots right now, but that's going to be bigger. And we wish Doug the best. But Jeff, I can't. We can't let people wait any longer. I mean, they're they're calling in, they're writing in, they're like, "Where is it?" So here we go. It's time for a baseball. Thank you, Leonard. Joel Sherman is a writer for New York Post. I don't know if he goes nationally or not, but he wrote something last week that really, you know, kind of bothered me. It's about. You know, you know, we're Met fans, and it's about Pete Alonzo, and it's going to be his walk year, and you know, all the plans about it going, Pete Alonzo going free agency if if this season. So my a friend of mine texted me, "Go, oh, good luck with the Met signing Pete Alonzo." I go, wait a second, you know, it January twenty fourth. It's three weeks until spring training. Then you have one hundred sixty two games in a hundred eighty two days of a a six month regular season. Then you have a month of playoffs before the next offseason comes. Can't we finish this offseason before we even worry about next offseason? I mean, I'm confident that Pete Alonso is going to sign with the Mets. I am. Who knows how this plays out? But you know what? Really going to speculate this for a, a year? Let the season play out. Let's see what happens. Look, everybody's one pitch away from being seriously hurt. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? You know what? Brandon Nimmo went free agent last year. Guess where he signed back with? The Mets. Aaron Judge went free agent last year. Guess what happened? He signed back with the Yankees. Not unprecedented. They could all always sign back. But do we have to speculate for the whole year? There's a whole season to play. Meanwhile, we're not through this offseason yet, and they're worried about next offseason. What's going on here? Len, I defer to you. <laughs> That's going to be the question he's going to get asked. Maybe he won't get asked all the time by the New York press, but every time he goes to a city, they'll say something, you know, they'll ask him about his free agency, right? Yes. And Len, I think we should congratulate the three new Hall of Famers, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer, and Adrian Beltre. Beltre and Maurer made it on their first ballot. I guess it doesn't really matter, does it? The Hall of Famer's a Hall of Famer, but they all are deserving. And, you know, Billy Wagner just missed by five votes, so it's, it's a shame. Hopefully he gets in next year on his last chance on the writer's ballot. Uh, and, and you know what? This happens every year, and, and I'm getting a little, little tired of it as, as well because if your guy doesn't get in, the people uh, they, they make a, a whole big deal on, on social media. Oh, the, the writers stink. It's a Hall of Fame is meaningless. I mean, this is the... Barry Bunch being a Hall of Fame and, and, and also uh, Roger Clemens and... And Pete, well, enough already. I have any time do you have to go through this? I, I, it's enough. I mean, am I right? I love it. You you ranted, you paused, and you're and you're in, and you're in another rant. It's beautiful. <laughs> Jeff, by the way, let me just tell you, those three Hall of Famers, yeah, the, the Dodgers just signed them all. <laughs> yeah. And as well as Alonzo. That's where he's going. So right. <laughs> you know. And that matter of fact, they're signing everyone. There is no one left. Well, yeah, well, 
Uh, the Dodgers have Freddie Freeman, who uh, I don't, so I don't think Lando's going there. But no. if you have any uh, comment, give us a call, 516-855-8214, and leave a message. Email us, baseballmbbq at gmail.com. Leave a message on our Facebook page, or you can X us at baseballmbbq. You can look at our Instagram. It's baseballmbbq, with barbecues all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballmbbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, follow, subscribe, subscribe, tell, tell your, your friends. friends. And Jeff, this next interview is with Matt Whistler and with a special appearance from <laughs> who else? Doug Shiding. This one's a keeper. Our guest today comes courtesy of our guest co-host, Doug Shiding, who recently met him at a wine festival in Huntington Beach, California. He is currently a free agent right-handed pitcher who has so far spent eight years in the major leagues, most notably with the Atlanta Braves, but also spent time with the Reds, Rays, Giants, Padres, Mariners, and Twins. He's more than just a pitcher. He's a foodie who has an Instagram account called AllSeason.Eats, and by looking at his page, there's plenty to talk about, including barbecue. And of course, his major league debut was 2015 was against the New York Mets, where he went eight innings, giving up only one run for the win. No offense, Matt, but as a Mets fan, that figures. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to Davey's baseball BBQ, Matt Weisler. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty well yourselves. Good, thanks. Thank you for with us. us, Matt. <laughs> and Doug, joining us is Doug Shining, our longest running guest co host. And Doug, you can throw the first pitch. Absolutely, Matt. So you never know who you're going to meet at those events and, and if they'll even know, follow yeah. up. So I, I figured you'd be surprised uh, that I even followed up with you. But I was like, man, this will be great uh, right up the baseball and barbecue. So I'm going to throw you a little bit of a change up and I'll let the the, the guys talk more about baseball. I, I'm more interested in a little bit in your offseason eats that Jeff mentioned. And I s- recently saw your steak and frites post, which looked fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about your cooking passion? And then who does your video editing? Editing Because it was very good. Yeah, so my cooking, I guess I kind of always kind of got into it. Uh, I think it started when I was more in high school. I just started learning a little bit. And then obviously I was drafted out of high school. And living on my own, I, I think it's just kind of grown a little bit. I started off, you know, pretty basic. And then I would say the biggest jumps have been the last five or six years. I've really started to try more. And then the last couple of years, obviously, the more you cook, the better you get. So uh, I've tried a lot more things. I've watched a lot of videos. I've read some books, just trying to get a little bit better at it. Obviously, I have no like culinary background or anything like that. So it's like kind of just learning on the fly. Kind of just tasting and 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 I, I obviously you're gonna have screw up some bad meals along the way, but for the most part I've gotten better. <laughs> uh, the steak frites was probably one of my favorite meals I've ever made. I don't even really like chimichurri, uh, but it turned out great because I used more cilantro, which I like. I partially to me it's just a overpowering taste. I don't like it on anything for sure. Uh, so I hid that with cilantro, which I do really enjoy. And that turned out um, phenomenal. But my wife and I, we basically, she bought like, we didn't really do the videos till I think last off season we started to, and then she bought like one of those camera things. So we on and off use it. We're not really great at it, but, um, she's mostly puts it together. I'll try and film some stuff along the way. Uh, but she clips it together using honestly just TikTok videos. And then it just kind of comes together online. You know, Matt, what's amazing is you were talking about having no experience. Doug is now a champion pit master yeah. who, <laughs> you know, decided one day, Hey, I, I think I want to try that. And the next thing you know, the guy's winning major competitions and cooking, representing Traeger and head country. So, you know, 
if you got it, apparently you just, you know, you got it. You just got to do it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. A little bit of hard work and, and uh, de- detail orient- oriented. Now, uh, I'm going to go uh, next and I'm saying this and Jeff's going to sit there and he's going to fume. But so I know you're from Ohio. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So let me just say I am a bobcat. Okay. okay. But what I thought was interesting was you're from Bryan, Ohio, and it I guess it's the home of Dum Dum Lollipops and the Etch a Sketch. Yes. Very interesting. Well, that's like Brian's big claim to fame. They actually make about 70% of the world's dum-dums as well, or not dum-dums, but the uh, candy canes in the country as well. So it's a big time for Brian right now. So most of the candy canes that you see um, are actually produced in Brian. Uh, anything you see on the label that says Spengo Candy Company is Brian. So obviously it's throughout the year, you're going to have really good smells coming from that factory. Right. Uh, I actually got to do one of my parents' good friends works in, I don't even know if it's their sales or whatever that he works for the company and he brought us in a couple of years back to do like a tour, just us. Um, and he let us do some tasting along the way. And I'd done a tour when I was a little kid, but it was actually really fun going back through there and watching uh, them make the candy. But yeah, you get a lot of good smells out of it. And the Etch-a-Sketch, yeah, they, obviously they stopped making it, I think, a long time ago. But that was the original place where they, they made them. Yeah, I love that, the Etch-a-Sketch. You guys had Etch-a-Sketches as a kid, right? Yes, went, I did. Yeah, you I did. shake it up, you go zigzag, you know. Yeah, I was wasn't artistic. So I, I see some etch a sketches are like incredible works of art. Mine was just like squiggle lines. <laughs> yes, I couldn't even write my name. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to get to, into baseball. And you were uh, you were drafted out of high school in the seventh round. I was. That, did you? Have the, I guess you had a choice. You can go into college. Were you recruited at any big time schools to go to college, or you just decided to go sign with the? Uh, I think you were the Padres. You were drafted by. Yeah, no. Uh, so I committed to Ohio State. Uh, my top four schools are probably Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Kentucky, and honestly, Kent State, because Kent State had a really good – I think I still have them. Uh, their pitching coach is pretty well-renowned, and he's put some guys in the MLB. So, But I committed to Ohio State. It was more of a thing that, you know, sophomore year of high school, we did like a what do we want to be when we grow up, I think, paper. And I did dental or orthodontistry because I was getting braces at the time. And obviously, I talked to my guys, and they made a lot of money. And I was like, well, this would be a cool – cool job and uh just to see what it does to help people's teeth and stuff so that was kind of my original thought was to go to dentistry school and then ohio state was the best choice for that along with baseball and then honestly like sophomore years when i finally kind of broke out a little bit for ohio and then uh put myself on the map junior year and senior year it was just kind of a decision whether i wanted to go straight from high school or you know go the college route and uh we've talked a lot to scouts you know looking back now it's kind of crazy how it worked out because you know, I think the the data would tell you that to go out of college back then was definitely the better route. I think kids have gotten better now because, you know, these kids are building labs nowadays. They're they're getting, you know, private mm-hmm. lessons from the time they're seven, eight years old. They go to these places like Tread, Driveline, all these places that biomechanics, like their kids are coming out so much better than they were, you know, back 10 years ago when I was. I can't even imagine 20 years ago. You know, it was basically, I never had private lessons. I had some guys that had played minor league baseball near me that really helped me out um, a couple coaches and stuff. And it was just a lot of work. You know, I had learned a ton in my first couple of years of pro ball that I had no idea of. So for me, I'm thankful I went out of high school because I think the coaching that I had the first two years is what gave me the chance to be in the big league still without them, whether I make it or not, I'm not sure. So I give them a lot of credit. And I think the biggest thing was 
I was ready mentally to to take it as a job and not just it's uh, I'm out there for fun. Like it's a real thing and that's your career on the line. Now, as you as you uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into baseball and, you know, growing up and and uh, before, you know, getting on with a, a major league team like the Padres. Yeah. So, I mean, I basically I don't know, like every kid, you just get introduced to it through your parents. Uh, start with T-ball. Uh, work your way up to the leagues and then um yeah i think when i was seven or eight i started doing travel ball just with a local bunch of local guys it was like two guys from each town uh we started this team just like i said locally playing some different tournaments just playing the highest level i think the biggest thing my dad always talked about was he just wanted us to play the best competition that we could find in the area so i think the biggest one of the things you you notice in a small town sometimes is people get that you know big fish in a little pond mindset where you think you're really good but then you go out in the real world and you realize you're not so i think my dad wanted to expose us to better competition and that was the biggest thing that just tried to find was you know finding the best teams in ohio michigan indiana you know we're not flying across the country like some of these teams do now but just finding the best local competition i mean that just grew obviously with through that and then through high school and and obviously fell in love with the game as i did and i still love it you know, it's a little more challenging now with the business side of it, but um, otherwise, the game itself is still pure and, and, and love it. Absolutely. And then, were you always a, a pitcher, or or were you played some some other infield positions? Or no, outfield? so I played. I, I've obviously pitched since the time I was when I started pitching at what nine. So I, I started pitching when I was nine, uh, eight or nine, and then. But I always played shortstop. Otherwise, I was ninety percent shortstop. I played a little bit of when it was on my little league team because. It was me and another guy that threw pretty hard back in the day, and they didn't trust somebody else to catch it. So we honestly flip flop, catch three innings, pitch three innings, and caught each other. So that was kind of the thing until he was twelve. But yeah, I caught just through you know twelve years old, just because guys couldn't really handle velocity back then. And then um, once I got past that, it was just shortstop and pitching. You know, you realize when you're young like that, it's always the the one who pitches is always the best hitter on the team, and he always plays the positions it's a it's not until you get to that higher level that you get pigeonholed either your offense and you know we're a pitcher or whatever right yeah i mean i can't imagine how boring baseball would be if you just pitch because you're obviously not pitching every day so like if you're a 12 year old on a team and you're pitching once a weekend and you sit and watch the other games like it's (laughs) boring doing that so like I, i would what a waste of time that would be as a kid to be a pitcher only. So I'm glad I never did that. I've talked to guys who were like, yeah, I was a pitcher only from like 15. I'm like, dude, I'm like, that's terrible. <laughs> I would not want to do that. <laughs> Matt, there's a story uh, online that you are mentioned in. It's uh, if anyone's looking for it, it's February 14th. So it's pretty recent of this year. And it said Detroit, it was when you were joining the Tigers. Mm-hmm. It says Detroit Tigers adding a unicorn arm so they called your arm a unicorn arm so why uh are they saying that so i wish it was a sense that i had an unbelievable arm and i threw really hard but it's not <laughs> it's uh that i throw a lot of sliders so i basically the last when i was in the big leagues my last three years i led the league in sliders by 30 40 percent so like that's pretty much my unicorn thing is i threw one pitch and had success for three years uh, doing that. I, I basically made a career out of throwing sliders the last couple of years, which I guess it's funny. Most people like those, there's plenty of guys out there that throw 90% fastballs and that's, you know, normal, I guess. But when you throw all sliders, everyone thinks about it as a, it's different. There's been a couple of guys before me that I'm trying to, I think it was like Gregerson 
uh, did it. And there's a couple guys earlier, but I think that I've, I want to say that I'm pretty close. I think I have the record for sure of most sliders percentage wise in a year. Is it easier on your arm, a slider? I wouldn't say it's easier on my arm. The way I throw it, it doesn't bother me. I think some guys, if they put too much torque on it, will put too much pressure on their elbows and that can bother them. But the way that I throw it, it's pretty much just comes out like my fastball. Gotcha. Well, you're pretty tall anyway and, and, and muscular as well. So uh, is that something you always uh, treated your body in terms of a physical shape and keep it in shape to relax yeah, your arm? No, I think that's one thing that's let me be where I'm at today is I start. I mean, I did some workouts when I was younger. Obviously, I didn't know a whole lot. Like I said, I wasn't like, you know, building this thing. I was doing everything kind of on my own and just through small coaches or some help here or there for lifting and stuff, just the basic stuff. And then I will give a lot of credit to San Diego. They were good about guys getting arm care. Like they had an arm care thing for you. They had good lifting. They had good recovery. They wanted us in the in the training room, things like that. And other teams that I'd been to, it was not a priority. They didn't have arm care. They didn't really like guys. Like it was like that old school mindset of like, oh, if you're like young, you shouldn't be in the training room. Like you don't need this until you're 30. But in reality, the earlier you start taking care of your arm, it just becomes habit. And then also your body will thank you later so it i mean it takes i mean i'm 31 now and you know i've got i don't know i think in total a pro ball i've got well over a thousand innings which is you know pales in compared to some guys but not a small amount by any means and i think the biggest thing now is i'm glad i've been doing it forever and at this point a lot of it's you have to put i put 30 40 minutes of prep work maybe an hour before i even you know touch a baseball to throw you know matt we recently had a the author on uh, named zach ford who talked about being called up it's the uh, players and the called up origin stories. So why don't you tell us? You were traded from the Padres to the, the Braves for pretty some pretty good players, BJ Upton and uh, Kim, uh, Craig Kimbrell. So when the how, how were you told by the Atlanta Braves that you were being called up to be starting on June nineteenth of, of two thousand fifteen? Yeah, so I was in um, I was at AAA with Gwinnett. We were in uh, Louisville. I was supposed to pitch a day game, I believe, on Wednesday morning. I had a really good stretch of like seven or eight games. Then I had a blow up game, my last game. So I thought I kind of screwed my chances for a while. I walked in that morning fully expecting to pitch and everyone walks in. When I walked in, everyone just kind of looked at me weird and we're like, what are you, what are you going to the big leagues? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm pitching today. And they said, no, you're not. So I went and looked at the roster and I did see the fact that I was not starting anymore. So I went and asked my pitching coach what was going on. He basically made a mock thing of like, oh, this is, I'll let you know when you're going to pitch, things like that. And then he said, you're actually going to pitch, you know, Friday down in Atlanta against the Mets. So <laughs> obviously really exciting. My parents were supposed to come down to watch me pitch that day in Louisville. So I got to call them and just like, just keep on driving down and I'll meet you guys back in Atlanta. And that was, uh, you pitched a beautiful game against the Mets, eight innings, six hits, a couple of uh, strikeouts. Or, you know, that was a great game, great debut. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it's definitely a highlight of my career, just the way it started. Uh, I wish every game went that well, but uh, what are you going to do? But yeah, I mean, it obviously, the way it worked out, the fact that, you know, one of my best friends in the game still to this day was the one that got the uh, go-ahead RBI in the eighth inning and just how it played out. It was just amazing. And then obviously close game, well-pitched. Obviously, I was facing the ground. He didn't get very many runs. Honestly, he probably shouldn't have <laughs> got any runs. One of their defenders kind of made a mental error in the eighth inning, but just the way it kind of worked out, like I said, my best friend in the game got the double, the RBI that scored the two runs, and then I really came in and closed it. And it was just a unbelievable night, a lot of fun. Fantastic, wow! Yeah, yeah. 
that that is beat hair <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah back when he did have yeah i didn't yeah. honestly realize how hard that he threw i thought he was like low to mid 90s until i got in the box against him and man that blew me away uh do, do you miss batting not really i mean it was fun like it was uh it's fun to talk to guys nowadays you know there's obviously nobody hits now but like talking to guys and joking with them about hitting and facing certain guys and it's honestly that was kind of the biggest it was it's funny like Obviously, the big league, the moments facing those hitters, but honestly, facing some of those pitchers when you're in the box is like, whoa, this is like, this is crazy. Like facing off against some of the best pitching in the game, uh, you really get a sense of of different guys and what they're capable of. Now, Matt, you've played for a number of teams. I want to talk about their winning mentality on those teams as well. But did you ever feel comfortable on a team where you thought, because you did move around a lot, so... Mm-hmm. Do you did you ever feel like maybe this is the place for me and I'm going to be here a while? And then when you got traded or something happened, you were you were shocked. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Atlanta, there was periods in Atlanta where I thought I could you know stay in the big leagues and be with Atlanta for a while. You know, I showed some promise in early 2016 and then I kind of struggled a little bit and then I you know rode the option train for two years. So. I kind of needed out of there. <clears throat> the Reds was just kind of a pit stop. I barely even was there. I never really felt that comfortable. Even when I, the first time I ever felt semi comfortable was in 2020 because it was 60 game season. But like that's, I mean, that's what two months. So it's not like that really mattered that much. But I felt really good about that. And even then, it didn't matter because I ended up being a free agent. I got non tendered and signed with the Giants. And that was a team where I was like, okay, I'm probably going to be with San Fran all year. Then I come out of the gate and was just terrible. So then I got released early into that season. And then picked up by the Rays. The Rays, I would say, in my career was probably the most that I thought that I would be there for a while. Uh, I only had two more years of free agency anyway. But the way I was pitching and the way I really liked the organization, that was the most home that I'd felt in baseball. That 21 team was probably still my favorite team that I ever played on to this day, just because the talent level, we were really good. So we won a lot, which is a lot of fun. And then honestly, some of the guys were some of the best guys that I ever played with on that team, personality wise. So that was probably my number one team. And then 22 with the Rays, I felt really comfortable coming back. It was the first time in a while that I got to go back to a spring training where I actually knew people and didn't have to like relearn everything. So that was really nice. And I thought the way I pitched that year that I'd be there the whole year, I ended up getting released with like three weeks left. And then now at this point, I know it's just going to be stints here and there if I can get back up. But now with the teams that you played on, so I mentioned this before, the Braves, the Rays, the Giants, I mean, you've you played on teams that they've got a, a winning culture. Maybe they don't win every season, but they definitely have a winning culture. When you walk into those clubhouses, does it feel different? Like they have the expectation that they're going to win as opposed to some other clubhouses where they don't? Yeah, there's definitely a big difference when your team's trying to win or not. When I was with Atlanta, we were horrible. I mean, we were really bad. We lost 90 plus games two years in a row. Uh, I was in that small rebuild. They went from like, 15 through what 18 when they won it again so i was in that brief stint of the of that and yeah that was everyone the the biggest difference is is when you are on a bad team people don't care about the winning as much obviously because it just doesn't matter the organization's not pressing to win like the games don't matter as much so more selfish in the fact that all you really care about is how you pitch doesn't matter if if the team gets blown out or we win like it's just like okay i pitched well today or i didn't pitch well today like that's I mean, that's the main thing in the game of baseball because it's a it's a team game, but it's also a very individualized game. But when you're in a bad team, the 
individual stuff matters more. So like you're basically pitching for your own job and trying to stay up there. Whereas on a winning team, you still care more about the winning. Like obviously it sucks if you have runs, but if you blow a game in a team that's trying to win, you feel way worse about it because the team's trying to win and you know you didn't help them out. But if you help the team win and you get to celebrate wins, it's it's way more fun baseball to play for a winning team. Uh, my two years with the Rays, even with the Giants, I was kind of struggling with the Giants because I was pitching so poorly um, just for the fact that I wanted to do better. But with the Rays, was probably the most fun that I had when it was a winning team. They expected to win and we did win. Uh, which made it a lot more fun. Is is that what the difference is in the Rays? I mean, they have such a low payroll, but yet they have this kind of ability to make make really make hay without a lot of payroll on the on the. Yeah, I mean, what yeah, is it about the, the Rays? Thing is they pitch right, so if you pitch that well, you can stay in every game. They never get blown out because they they play to win every game, and they don't really care about the next day, right? So they're willing to use all the relievers in a game to keep it close. The way they view games is a little bit different. If you're behind two, they still try and win. But if you're up down three runs, they basically, you know, analytics say you're going to lose that game. So they kind of cash it in later in the game and they'll throw <laughs> long guys in that situation. So it's a little bit different philosophy, but what they do, <clears throat> I think their pitching coach is one of the best in the game, if not the best in the game. He can find needle in a haystack he he can see guys on data and different things and kind of put you in the right spot and he knows how like what we do with McClanahan uh what he did with Springs what he did with Rasmussen like all those guys in development glass now like the guys that he comes out with just a couple minor tweaks here or there or a sequencing thing or a grip change just to get the data to play better they're always in games right so they can pitch they can shut down any offense in the ALEs which is a tough thing to do and then their bats do enough so I think that's the biggest thing is they just they want to win. They know they can win and they have good group of guys that that play together. Yeah, your ERA for Tampa Bay was two point two one. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, they must have some secret sauce down there because that that their other pitchers do well. Yeah, they just they obviously get guys that have swing and miss stuff, but they just preach strikes, which is the key to the game, right? So they keep it really simple. Preach strikes and they have the data to back it up and you just go out there and you trust it more than I think some teams they get caught nibbling too much and then they realize like okay now I'm one oh two oh instead if you were just throw the ball down the middle oh 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 one be more aggressive in the zone it puts hitters on their on their heat on their heels and uh you have to be the aggressor and, and not be scared of some contact, not be scared of the plate. And I think that they preach that and they have guys that have stuff that that plays that way. Well, last year you were with the, the Detroit organization and with the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. What's the plan now for 2024? Are you aggressively, obviously you aggressively want to go pitch again. Are you going to, uh, you know, which teams you're going to target to uh, have your agent give them a call or how, how does that work? No, at this point, it's just kind of the waiting game. I know last year didn't go exactly how I planned for it. First time being trapped in the minors. I, my biggest thing right now is I got to find some velo. So I'm working with Driveline out of Scottsdale, trying to find some velo back. I think that's going to be the biggest contributor to me getting signed. Ideally, I would honestly like to finish my career in Asia, whether it's Korea or Japan. That would be my number one goal if I get over there. But if I can't do that, then try and get another non-roster invite somewhere over here. And and I Mm -hmm. think that I made a couple of adjustments end of last year that finally felt really good. Finally started to feel more like myself again. My, My slider got back to where I think that it should be. Um, And then hopefully uh, with working with driveline this year that um, I can gain another tick or two on it. That's going to make other teams look at it and be like, okay, we think Whistler is back to where he should be, back where he was in 21 when he had a lot of success with the Rays and then try and get my way back up that way. 
We'll have your agent call at David Stern because the Mets need pitching, and uh, you, you've been pretty you've been pretty good in New York. The the one thing that uh, you know you're a righty, which you know if you were a lefty, we, we wouldn't be having this discussion. You would you'd be signed, you know, right? I mean, a lefty uh, reliever in in baseball is just uh, is gold. Yeah, especially a lefty with spin because. Um... I think the lefty slider is the best pitch in the game because lefty left on left hitters hate them. Most guys do not see them very, they don't see a lot of good lefty sliders. So they really struggle with that. And then also righties just cannot see sliders. So if I could just, yeah, if I was left-handed, I'd like to think that, you know, I'm sitting here on a multi-year deal, a lot <laughs> more money right. chilling in the bank. <laughs> and, and Matt, when you, you start your career, you're a, you're a starter. And then they make you a reliever. Does a starter? I know they always talk about starters and the starters make more money, and the, but that relievers are important and all. But what what does it do to your psyche to then not be a starter? Yeah, so I'm in the transition at 19. I basically was just told with the Reds, like, yeah, we're going to transition your full time reliever, and it was just like, all right. Obviously, I think starting, it's it's crazy to me the difference in starting from now from. You know, even when I was starting eight years ago, and the fact that even the Cy Youngs don't average six innings anymore. I mean, the starting pitching, it's basically full out. You know, you're throwing a lot more. I throw a lot of breaking balls, but like there, it's pretty much just throw everything you got at them for four to five innings. And if you get five innings, great. If you get into the six, that's an unbelievable start. You just don't see starters besides, you know, the Coles of the world that are going out there. You're throwing six, seven. He's throwing six, seven, eight every time. We just don't have that anymore. Um, which, in my opinion, I, I wish teams would get back to that. I'm hoping at some point that baseball switches away from doing that. I know it's really hard right now because the offensive hitters, um, it's it's just a lot different, too, because guys, everyone one through nine hits homers. So, like, it's hard to really pitch too, too much contact when you're a starter because, you know, look at Lance Lynn. He's a guy that pitches the contact. And if you do that too, too much, you can get, you know, burned with homers and Home runs are automatic runs, and and those are hard to do. And and with analytics and the FIP and all that stuff, home runs really crush your your secondary numbers that teams look at nowadays. So, I wish that I could start. I would love to go back to starting. I just think it's much it's much easier for me because the the bullpen is geez, it's stressful for me. I sit down there all day just waiting to pitch. So, starting it's one day of stress, and relieving it's you know 162. Yeah, we actually had uh, Jeremy Affelt on the the show, and okay. it was interesting. He was, you know, how his manager, I think Bochi is the one that uh, basically, yep. well, and Kansas City started doing saves up there, and and then uh, how Bochi actually kind of helped him uh, become a, a really good reliever, obviously one of the best in the game, so the best in the World Series. I had a question. I saw on your history that you went to pre-arbitration, I think, five times and arbitration twice. Is it as bad as what I've heard in terms of how nitpicky it is and and something to try to avoid? Yeah, so I never actually went into an arbitration case, so I settled every oh, time. Okay. Oh, like, okay, okay. I know in talking to guys, yeah, it's basically, you don't really want to go to it. I think it's the teams try to avoid it for the most part because they can burn some bridges. I mean, you're basically going, the team's going in there telling you why you're not worth that kind of money. Um, Guys can get offended by it. Uh, If they end up losing the arbitration process is so screwy anyway, because like these arbitrators, they don't, they're not playing baseball. So they don't really truly understand the game of baseball and like what, you know, the certain statistics mean. Oh, okay. And 
I mean, there's so many freaking made up statistics anymore. You don't even know which ones are good and bad. So there's always a way to devalue guys or add value. So it's just kind of a cluster in there. And, and it's honestly, it's a flip of a coin, whether you're going to win or not. Okay. You know, uh, Matt, I'm, I'm looking at your Twitter, not Twitter, your uh, Instagram page, Off Season Eats, and it looks like it looks delicious. Uh, I've seen you've done some barbecuing as well. Uh, what's your gorilla of choice? So I got a Traeger like two years ago. Uh, they sent me one. My agent reached out and got me one. I actually used the Pit Boss before that, and I actually really enjoyed that. I gave it to my mother-in-law to use, so it's in the family still. But I do really enjoy the Traeger. The only thing that I wish the Traeger had that the Pit Boss does is the open flame sear. Other than that, the Traeger's great. It makes food perfect. It, it's so easy to use. So I got no complaints. I just wish I could have an open air. I don't want to take the thing out. That's just way too much effort. But I just ended up cooking it on the front part with all the heat comes through. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Mr. Alex Traeger. from from Traeger? I'm sorry. Yeah, I doubt Is it. That, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. My agent reached out. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Mister <laughs> Doug over there, the Traeger master. Well, so now there's pretty- a Traeger guy. Traeger Gator is yeah, his Instagram. Yeah, Traeger. So. You know, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. uses the Traeger. Uh, George Britt uses a Traeger, so you're in good company with the Traegers. Yeah, I mean, Traegers, <laughs> they've been around the longest, and they're they're so easy, and they taste great, so I have zero complaints. I, I'll always use it. Yeah. I want to ask you also about your Instagram account. I know when rooting for the Mets, Mark Canna has, a, has an Instagram, Big League Foodie. And I was wondering if you guys ever uh, talked about your, your Instagram accounts, your food, and, and, and whatnot. No, I actually heard about that. Somebody messaged me that they should introduce me to him. And uh, I obviously know Mark is. I've faced him before, but we've never met. And uh, no, we've never had any conversation about it. But I think he wrote a book or something about you know his favorite food spots across the baseball life. Do you have any favorite food spots? Uh, Some different places like New York. I really enjoy Momofuku. I watched uh, David Chang's uh, Netflix documentary, so it got me into it. Um, There's a place called The Smith. That's one of my favorite breakfast spots in New York as well. They had a phenomenal BLTA or BLTE croissant with like really good breakfast potatoes. I think we're, I mean, honestly, like just, just small hole in the wall breakfast spots are what I tried to find. Um, I don't know how a lot of guys end up ordering room service and I'm like, it's one, it's just a giant waste of money and two, we're in good cities. So honestly, what I end up doing most of the time is I go to Google maps and I click breakfast. And then I look for at least four and a half stars or better. A lot of times it's just simple coffee shops that I like to go to and just get out and about, walk through these cities. And then if you know you have that occasional off day or things like that, you can get some really good food in those cities. Matt, I've read the the meal money. What, do they still hand it to you in cash? Most teams do not. I, it, well, the problem is, so it used to be you were getting a hundred bucks a day, but they take away dues now. So now it's 30 bucks a day. So instead of getting $1,100 cash, you're getting like 250 so a lot of times they just direct deposit in your account. Oh wow, that's yeah, that's not that's not much. No, it's yeah, it's definitely changed. You're not paying the seventy dollars a day in dues. I also saw something online that you go for a BLT or a club sandwich. Was that before the game or what? When do you prefer to I have your BLT? A BLT anytime. It just has to be good bacon. I always okay. told my wife if there was one food thing that I would open, it would be a food truck. Just with BLTs only, because basically you get high quality beef or high quality pork, but you get like five or six flavors of bacon. You know, you got cracked pepper, you got hickory, apple, cherry, all different types of bacon, thick cut, things like that. And then you have, you could have a bunch of different breads. You could have breakfast BLTs, which I think are fire with like cream cheese. And then you could have different types of, you know, breads with bagels and uh, croissants and all that. That BLTs are just a phenomenal food. Doug, you make a BLT? 
Oh, I haven't made a BLT in a long time. Really? It's been so a while. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I you know, I'll, I, well, my wife, uh, you know, likes hamburgers. So I did, you know, 52 weeks of uh, hamburger hump day. So I made a, a different hamburger for 52 weeks. So Jeez. Um, there you go. Yeah, make a BLT I, this time. Yeah, if you if you're out in California, you need to watch uh, Sam the Cooking Guys videos. Uh, oh yeah, you know I watched Sam? my uh, brother-in-law show me him. I watched I've watched him. I watched Joshua Wiseman. Oh yeah, I watched not another cooking show. I've actually DM'd him a couple times because I've tagged him in some of my posts when I did the stuff, and then just DM'd him a couple times because I really like watching his food. Yeah. Well, in terms of, we really appreciate your time. I I want to make sure that I'm not uh, coming in in the eighth inning, Lynn. So, uh, got... <laughs> well, I I I actually I I did want to ask Matt something else. Obviously, I mean, you have had more success than the three of us combined in in <laughs> baseball. Okay, but you're a smart guy, and you know how you know how careers go. So, how do you prepare? for a life you know after baseball even if you do go and play in in japan or south korea or wherever but when you do hang up the cleats and are you looking to go into coaching announcing uh what are you what are you looking to do in the next phase yeah so it's obviously with the way last year went i thought about this a lot more in the last you know 18 months than i thought i would at this point i thought i could easily get till 35 36 but at this point yeah i mean it's a pretty real possibility this could be my last year if i can get a job because i obviously am not going to be i'm not going to sit in triple a my whole career it's just it's not as fun it's not worth it you know my wife and i spent a lot of time apart this year just because it's it's not as easy to travel triple a cities so I've come to the conclusion now that, you know, if I can't get back up to the big leagues or I can't get to Asia, you know, this this offseason or potentially next offseason, then I would probably hang it up. I don't know yet. It's it's If I can get a couple years in Asia, it would make my life a lot easier with the Asian money. I just started buying into some real estate, things like that. So I'm getting trying to get some cash flow stuff. So it depends on the next couple of years go. If I can make a couple of years, in the, like another year or two in the big leagues, if I can get over to Asia, it would make my life a little easier and I would still... I would probably do some stuff with my properties. And then honestly, I think I've thought about sales. I obviously don't want to work a desk job. I could not sit in front of a desk for nine hours a day. Uh, I would just go <laughs> stir crazy after about four hours. So I wouldn't make it a day. So I know that about myself. So it's a matter of, you know, I think sales would be something fun. Um, I enjoy going out, talking to people, meeting people. Uh, obviously with food and stuff, you could find a good restaurant, take guys there, um, golfing, doing that type of stuff with people. I mean, then obviously you're going to have time in front of a computer answering emails, taking care of customers, things like that. But at least it's kind of your own schedule. That's what my dad did. So like I kind of saw, you know, the work he could at least kind of make his own schedule. He was there for us all the time at our games, sporting events, obviously to travel a little bit. And I would I would like to travel a little bit. I don't want to travel near as much. I don't really want to get into coaching. Uh, I want to coach my own kids if I have them one day. The only thing that I would stay in baseball with would be potentially like a special assistant job, but I would need a couple more years in the big leagues before someone probably offers that. So I don't know. There's, there's plenty of things that I've thought about. I, there's a, I have a really good friend of mine who's a neighbor that we've talked to. He owns his own consulting business right now. We've talked about finding something around here that we could maybe start doing with the business. So a lot of different avenues I've thought about. Hopefully I've got another year or two to figure it out, but uh, it's definitely in the back of my mind to start planning for that. Well, out your way is uh, Steve Traxel and he became a, a sommelier. And so oh, he's, yeah, he's is, in, I did not have the palate for that. <laughs> well, I thought since we met at a wine event that maybe that was part of part of the the 
potential after the baseball life process. So, well, uh, we really appreciate your time, especially, yeah. you know, uh, getting to meet you at the, at the Huntington beach. And then, uh, also, uh, to see your passion on, on Instagram as as well. Um, I wanted to ask you, I saw, and, 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 uh, this was something I saw in terms of, and I didn't realize this has happened over 25 times, but that, balk that was called against you and i think you were pitching against the reds i mean and and did are you gonna have to change your you know uh the way you call off signs or something like that so you basically you just moved your glove and yeah so they called you uh, a balk and it didn't i got confirmation the empire the next day that it was incorrect so i really yeah so i had that was the thing is like when it happened, I was like, I don't know what I did. Cause like, I literally, I didn't flinch. Like I know sometimes I flinched before and like, I didn't get called or like it gets called and I'm like, dang it. But in that situation, like I didn't move at all besides my glove, which you're allowed to do in that situation. I hadn't come set yet. So I'm allowed to do that. So I didn't flinch at all. And then I basically asked my pitching coach that night. I was like, Hey, he, and he even said the same thing. He's like, I'm going to ask the umpire tomorrow what you did, because if you have to stop tapping, then that's going to be, it's, I, I would say it's semi a tick that I do now. I just do it because it helps me. I do a bunch of random stuff every time so that I don't tip pitches because a lot of yeah. guys nowadays game, but the way you take uh-huh. the ball up is the way that they can figure out what pitch you're throwing. Obviously for me, I don't worry about that much, but just to have that thought of a fastball in guy's head keeps my slider playing. So like I try to just do that and it's just a tick that kind of happens. And yeah, the umpire, he called me in the, First or second in the next day, my coach did, and he was basically like, yeah, he's like, the umpire said that he shouldn't have called it. So I was like, <laughs> sick. <laughs> oh, gosh. You handled it very professionally in the interviews afterward. And I mean, you were totally dumbfounded uh, uh, in the game. That was the thing is I was just like, if that, if I can't do that, I've been doing this my entire career. If I can't do that, then I've got to change. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was worried about. So, yeah, well, fantastic. Matt, where's the media the best? Where did, Where have you enjoyed speaking to the media? I mean, the raise was easy because it was like, (laughs) there's not a whole lot of media presence (laughs) down there. So it's easy and I was throwing well, so it made it. (laughs) And the nice, the best thing about relieving is as a reliever, you pretty much never want to be interviewed because it just, the only time they ever want to talk to you is when you blow a game. So the Mm. less you talk to the media as a reliever, the better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Right. (laughs) And do do you, uh, I, uh, I got one more for Matt. I'm sorry. Do you prefer to be used a lot, like a couple of innings, you know, a few days in a row or what's, what's the best way to use Matt Weisler? Uh, I would say it just kind of depends. Like I've basically been used as everything. I would prefer throwing one inning. If the inning goes well, like inning day, uh, inning, like I'm fine going back to back. I just would like two days after that single innings are honestly just way easier on your arm to basically, I don't know if you guys know what the term dry humping means as a bullpen guy. Basically, you're getting hot and then you don't go in. It's kind of like a dry hump. So that's you know, that's the term. So not having that happen. Helps. Never heard of that term. Uh, yeah. So you'll know. Yeah. If you can, you can visualize what dry humping means. As a reliever, it's basically getting all the yeah. way hot and you're ready to come in the game. And all of a sudden they right. call down or they get out of it. And you sit down, you wait two more innings and then you get hot again. So like you just already had that adrenaline dump. So avoiding that is like number one. If I get up and in, like if, if they get hot and I'm in the game within a minute or two like it's like okay i feel pretty good the next day it's when you start adding in i get hot in the third inning i get hot in the fifth inning and i pitch in the seventh those are the days you just wake up feeling horrible really mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's that's what you hear managers they try to avoid that i mean that they say they're not going to get the guys up so much because you yeah yeah they've really 
they've started to do a better job at, at looking at that because there's been so many injuries to relievers because, you know, they ride their hot hand. But the, the fact is, like, a lot of people, they didn't – like, most people don't realize, like, how much relievers actually throw in a given year. I mean, I I would say, you know, in 22, I was on pace for over 100 innings for the first six weeks of the season, which is a lot. And there was additional, like, ups in there that I wasn't actually pitching. So I was getting up, you know, three and four times a week consistently, which is a lot for a reliever. And one well, more, Matt, one we, more. I got to ask him one more, one more. I'm sorry, Matt. What's good. the uh, being in a, in a, we heard from someone else that when you're a major leaguer, the way you're treated, whether it's in the clubhouse or it's just, it's very hard to give that up. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, I would say when you're in the big league, it's obviously the best place to be in baseball. Obviously it's a great life. I always tell people it's, it's obviously a dream, everything that I've had, like I'm so thankful for, but it is definitely still a job. And if you're not like a guy that's a very, like I've obviously had some years in my career, but I've obviously, you've seen that I've been released, traded, DFA'd seven times. So it's pretty stressful for me in that sense that like, I'm always kind of waiting to get released, which is not ideal at times, but the life that a baseball player lives. Yeah. I mean, you're staying in five-star hotels, the charter planes are amazing. The travel, like everything that kind of correlates with big league baseball. It's, it's amazing. The food you get. It's a fantastic lifestyle and uh, one that I'll definitely be appreciative of the rest of my life. Well, Matt, we really appreciate you joining us. I just want to let you know that the guy who you faced most, now not the most, but the guy you got out is Bryce Harper. You faced him 15 times and he has a 0.000 batting average against you. Wow. You got his number. You got his yeah, number. I would guess that his on base percentage is somewhere in the 400, 500 mark because I've also walked him a couple times. But yeah, <laughs> you, you I definitely actually, had success you, against him the other way. You, you walked him four times and his on base percentage is only 267. So you did pretty well against him. Yeah, yeah. And Curtis Grandison is only batting 136 against you. And he was was pretty good. He was my first strikeout, so I remember him pretty fondly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Matt, we thank you for joining us on Baseball BBQ. We we wish you the best of luck. I mean, again, have your agent called David Stearns. And good (laughs) luck with your your, uh, off-season eats Instagram account. And uh, best of luck. Perfect. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you you. very much. Thank you. All right. And thank you, Matt Whistler, for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. Note to David Stearns, the president of a baseball operation for the Mets. Matt Whistler's available. We need pitching. Yeah. Unless he's already signed with the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe maybe that sounds bitter. I, I'm sorry. I, I just... <laughs> anyway, let me just tell everyone. We are presented by Bet Online. It is where the game starts. Jeff, we're going to end this show, and I don't feel badly about ending it because I think that we've given a triple, a triple play. So let's just give a special thanks to Doug Scheiding, who has, I think that's the record now. He was with us for everything. Thank you to Tina Cannon. Thank you to Matt Whistler. And thank you to our audience. Jeff, thanks to you. Thank you. Thank you, Leonard. You're welcome. So let's end the show. Let's end with the poet. That's Shel Krakowski. The musician. That's Dave Dresser. And Jeff, what's the song? Baseball always brings you home. And we'll see you next week on episode 223.